You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1018 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you deep into the night here on a Friday evening. And today's podcast is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Enjoyment isn't the end game, it's the whole game. Oh, and I find calories to its carbs. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Today's podcast will focus on game six between the Hawks and the Sixers, with the Hawks falling by a final score of 104.99 at State Farm Arena earlier this evening. Obviously, with the series on a tie 3-3, it goes to Philadelphia for Game 7 on Sunday. The Hawks had an opportunity to win this game, to be sure. It was a winnable game for the Hawks. They started out well, but the offense betrayed them in this game overall. There were some standout performances, especially from Trey Young, but overall, a lot of uh, hiccups offensively, and the end result was, despite some opportunities in the fourth quarter, a close-fought loss. So, with that said, plenty to get into on today's podcast. Please subscribe to the show if you're a new listener. Welcome aboard. We have all kinds of content on this podcast network with regard to this show. And uh, we had Joel Holbert on, on the podcast yesterday, a breakdown of Game 5. All kinds of content. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And thank you for joining me on this particular episode. All right, we'll dive in now to the game itself. Nothing really new coming into the game. Injury stuff was all the same. Trey Young was probable, ended up playing. Joel Embiid was questionable, ended up playing. Uh, no Hunter. No Reddish, no Goodwin for the Hawks, no, no Danny Green for Philadelphia. The Hawks were three-point underdogs in this game, according to our friends about Atlanta AG. That surprised people for sure. I, I heard from Hawks fans that did not love that listing. I totally understand that. Um, but that's been the perception the entire series. The Hawks have been underdogs in all six games. Obviously, they've won three of them, but that's going to be continuing uh, for Game 7 as well as we'll look ahead later on in the podcast. But that was sort of the... It was almost status quo with, with the sort of one-day turnarounds in between games. Not a whole lot of digestion happening. Joe and I did talk a lot about um, sort of the adjustments that were possible between Game 5 and Game 6, but, uh, you know, sort of the coming into the night anyway, except for the series shifting back to Atlanta, not a whole lot different to uh, dive into in terms of both sides. At any rate, though, there was some differences at the outset of this game because recently, of course, the Hawks had the two massive comebacks in Game 4 and Game 5. On this night, the Hawks actually led this game comfortably at times in the first quarter. So it was a 10-2 run to start the night for the Hawks. The Hawks scored the first three possessions with a Capella dunk, capping that. Philadelphia couldn't score in the early going. The Hawks were 4-5 with some free throw attempts as well. Philadelphia was 1-6. of six. In fact, Atlanta scored 16 points on the first nine possessions of this game. And it would have been even better than that. Capella actually missed a dunk. That was a very makeable shot for him. Um, on the 10th possession, it actually would have been 18-10 and 10 otherwise. But the Hawks led by as many as 12 points. It was 20-8 to eight at the six-minute mark, basically, of the first quarter. Atlanta was 8 of 10 from the floor, including a perfect 3 of 3 from Trey Young. Philadelphia was struggling, and the Sixers were actually in foul trouble, too. Tobias Harris and Ben says both had two fouls in the first six minutes or so. Um, but from there, the offense kind of hiccuped midway through the quarter, and that kind of became the theme for the rest of the night. So the first sort of, um, I would say, again, hiccup, basically, offensively, was that Bogdanovich, who struggled in this game, then it got injured, which we'll talk about later on in the pod. But three turnovers in 62 seconds for Bogdanovich alone midway through the quarter. Uh, the Hawks actually had four trips in a row that were empty, including some missed free throws by Capella. And then Philadelphia scored five points in a row, and McMillan had to call a timeout. So that was sort of the first little um, you know, mess-up of, of sorts from the Hawks after a very, very strong start. They went to the Trey Lou lineup pretty early, actually, in this game. They brought Gallinari out of, that, out of the break as well in, in for uh, 
um, Bogdanovich. They actually went to Herder plus the bench, though, later on in the quarter with both a Kongwu and Hill in rotation in this game. There was a pretty hideous sequence when Capella actually airballed sort of a shot clock heave shot, and then Embiid had a pretty ugly offensive foul going through Capella's chest. Um, but Akongwu, I thought, was really good when he came in the game. A couple of dunks late in the quarter. He actually outplayed Dwight Howard, I would say, decisively yet again in this game. The Hawks, though, sh- led by seven at the end of the first quarter. They shot it well. Um, Trey had 11 in the first period. Philly shot 39% from the floor. It was mostly just Curry and Tyrese Maxey who had, who had big games uh, in this spot. But overall, I would say the Hawks probably should have been up by more than they were at the end of the first quarter. But at the same time, you're up by seven. You can't really complain about that in the slightest. Before we get to the second quarter and beyond today on the road to the finals, our NBA playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. 95 calories, 56 carbs. We can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. We'll dive in now to the second quarter, of course, and you know, they sort of stay with the bench lineup a lot. This is the theme that I've talked about quite a bit the entire playoffs and this series as well, but it was jarring to me yet again. This is a game six. You could argue it's obviously a must win for Philadelphia, and I would say a pressure-packed situation for the Hawks at home, and yet... Multiple times this game, both coaches were just very comfortable playing bench lineups, or at least bench heavy lineups, like four guys on the floor at the same time. That happened early in the second quarter when they went with bench plus Herder at the outset. They did bring Bogdanovich back uh, pretty quickly after that, but um, Lou Williams was not able to carry the offense as he was in game five. That kind of cost the Hawks at different times in this game. But fully had their first little, little uh, run of the night, actually. A 7-0 run by them to start the second quarter. It was 16-4 overall, that's, and actually tied the game at 29-29 after they had trailed by as many as 12. They called timeout, though, brought Trey Young and John Collins back in the game, and went with actually the four stars plus a Kongwu, which hasn't had much at all. It's usually a Kongwu with a pretty bench lineup for a little bit of time there. It, w- it wasn't a whole lot of time, but it was four starters and then a Kongwu plus Capella, sorry, in, in place of Capella, and that actually worked out pretty well. It took a while for the Hawks to sort of empty uh, sort of empty it out a little bit. Uh, it was 29-29 for a while, but uh, a 10-0 run, by the Hawks sort of an extended time to go back up 39-29. So already is sort of a game of runs feel there with, uh, you know, Atlanta starts out hot, Philly counters, Atlanta pushes back, Philly counters, et cetera, et cetera. But I will say this, Trey Young was dominant in that 10-0 run. He had a floater, he had two tough layups, and a lob to Capella. Even some pesky, I would say, opportunistic defense from, from Trey in that stretch. He was very, very involved defensively, which is good to see from him playing very hard in this spot. And uh, I, will say, I will say there was one uh, gift from Philadelphia. They played Simmons and Howard together for a little bit of time. That was not effective at all by the Sixers. Anyway, though, um, but from there, it was, again, a 7-0 run by Philadelphia immediately. They actually pulled Ben, ben Simmons, actually had, he had his third foul. I'm not sure if that helped to hurt the Hawks, honestly. And I tweeted as much. It's very bizarre that Ben Simmons, who you know is a borderline all-star, you know, had Philly fans not jokingly, so rooting for Ben to foul out of the game or get you know have some, have some severe foul trouble because he just has been hidden offensively in the entire series. But he came out. The Hawks did lead the entire half. They were at least had one chance to go down actually with Philadelphia not scoring. But Herter had five in a row late at a putback and then a corner three. And then Trey hit a pretty ridiculous 34-footer off a crossover to go up by six late in the half and then missed another one at the buzzer basically. But they still led by four at the halftime break. Trey had 20 and seven. In the first half, he was just awesome, honestly. Herter was actually quite good as well. 15 points, 5 rebounds in the first half. The rest of the team, not as much. Um, they took care of the ball pretty well, but other than that, but Donovich and Collins combined for 4 points in the first half, and Lou and Gallinari were 0 of 7. So, those 4 guys, Donovich, Collins, Lou, and Gallinari were 2 of 16 from the floor in the first half. And, as I said at the end of the first quarter, 
you have to think, and I said this in real time, so it's not even revisionist, that the Hawks needed to be up by more than they were at the end of the first half. They played better than that, I think. Um, they missed some opportunities for sure, and with the way the Sixers were playing, you needed to be up a little bit more comfortably than that, which obviously bit them as we get into the second half and beyond, because uh, you know, other than Tyrese Maxey having a nice half and Seth Curry at times, there wasn't a whole lot going on for Philly before halftime. All right, before we get to the rest of the uh, game and some takeaways, etc., later on in the podcast, a word from our sponsors on today's show, and the first of which is rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models in the car or truck world, it's now impossible to stock all the parts that you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why would you endure often pointless questioning from someone at a storefront and have to wait while someone at the counter orders the parts on the computer, only choosing the brand that the warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com right now, both at home and in your pocket. Rockauto.com is a family business, serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for all the audio and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver, get everything you need, just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is uniquely and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your car and choose the brands, specs, and prices that you prefer. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. And from there, you went right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box to know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, so one of the big stretches of the game, I won't say this is the entire game by any means, but it was certainly one to circle, was the outset of the third quarter. So coming out of the locker room, Hawks up by four, Philadelphia scores the first 14 points of the third quarter. Seth Curry hits three threes, and Beat hits one as well in the first two minutes. That gave Philly their first lead of the night because the Hawks led the entire first half. There was never a point in which they trailed before halftime, but then in a heartbeat, they're down by 10, um, and that was a problem. The Hawks didn't score for more than th- almost three and a half minutes, I should say, uh, Capella got a dunk finally there, but they missed their, they missed their first six shots. So it wasn't just, it wasn't just the defense in that part; they just weren't able to score. They had a turnover as well. They finally made some shots. Bogdanovich made a three. He, he actually it was his first and uh, I think maybe only jump shot of the entire game that he was able to knock down. Um, but other than that, not a whole lot to be positive about. They were down ten at the midcourt timeout. In fact, they they scored five points in the first six and a half minutes or so of the third quarter. There were two of eleven from the floor and three turnovers. Um, there was, though, a massive dunk by John Collins on a lob over Embiid. That was an unbelievable climb of the ladder by Collins, who's obviously very springy off the floor. But, man, that was a crazy dunk for John that ignited the crowd in a big way. A three-point play as a result. And that kind of spearheaded a 13-4 to overall run by Atlanta to get back within two. So 72-70, uh, Gallinari hit a three that was uh, also well-received by the crowd in that stretch. And finally, the Hawks got within one in the third quarter. They played the starters in Gallinari a lot. They didn't bring in Lou and Okongwu and Hill until the last minute of the third, which is a slight adjustment. The Hawks actually, they did sort of lean into the rotations uh, more in the second half, to be sure. But they were down by four, sort of a back and forth thing, but honestly, the big damage was done early in the third to sort of go from being at least relatively in control to being in catch-up mode the rest of the game, basically. And that was the that was the price to be paid at the outset for those threes that were hit by Philadelphia. So down by four, not a good quarter necessarily, but they, they did recover pretty well to not be, like, you know, flailing entirely. Trey, by the way, had 28 and 11 through three quarters, was plus six in a uh, spot where they were actually down by four. And then Gallinari had a nice, had a nice quarter as well with seven points. In the fourth, though... Still never able to get over the hump. That was sort of the theme. The Hawks did have a lot a lot of resilience, I thought, in this game. Punching back, staying staying involved, staying engaged. They just kind of never got all the way over the hump. In the beginning of the fourth quarter, not to be a repeater on this podcast, but um, it was a bench-heavy start for both teams. It was Bogdanovich plus the bench for the Hawks. Doc did the same thing for the, for the Sixers. Gallinari hit a pretty circus shot, actually, 
early in the uh, in the quarter, and they got a stop, and then Congo got fouled um, on a lava tip with a chance to tie the game. But the next two possessions for the Hawks offensively were Congo missing both free throws, and then Bogdanovich got fouled. He missed both free throws too, and it's a lot more surprising that Bogdanovich did it. But free throws were a big point of discussion after the game. Um, I will say a lot of the misses did come from Capella and Okongwu, but those two by Bogdanovich were pretty big, and they're just kind of bizarre when he misses, to be fair. But they missed four in a row at a pretty bad time. Uh, there was a nice block by uh, by Okongwu on Tobias Harris that was actually a pretty considerable play by him. He was very, very good defensively in this game. There was sort of a long review play in the fourth early on when Maxi hit a three. They called a weird um, sort of off-ball foul on Lou Williams. After a long review... The foul stood, but they originally countered the three. They wiped that off. So, not ideal for the Hawks, but at least they, at least they pulled the three off the uh, board. It, it would put the Hawks down by seven. It was back to four at that point in time. And that also allowed them to bring Trey and Capella back. I probably would have done it actually a little bit earlier, but it did allow them to get a little bit more rest. So, they came to about the 9.30 mark, played the rest of the game. Um, and the Hawks played pretty big with Gallinari for Bogdanovich. I thought in the moment that was a coach's decision, but it turns out that Bogdanovich was actually hurt. They announced this moments later than this, but Bogdan left with right knee soreness. No formal update on Bogdanovich right now, but Kevin Herter said in his post-game availability that, uh, A, he praised Bogdanovich for being very tough, but also said that he's been banged up, was the quote, um, throughout the series. So I don't know how serious it is. They're not going to tell us, probably. We'll see what he's listed at as of Saturday night on the injury report, but, but that's a definitely a big loss. He did not return to the game. At any rate, they brought uh, Embiid back at the same time Philadelphia did. The Sixers, the Sixers though, were in the bonus and uh, as I've been saying ad nauseum, I would have fouled Simmons, and they finally did it um, for a little while. It didn't last a whole lot because they actually pulled him, but I'll go through this now. They came out hacking Simmons after a timeout with, with the Hawks down five and about seven minutes to go. So Simmons gets fouled the first time. He splits the free throws, so not a disaster for Philadelphia, but a pretty good result overall. The Hawks, though, fail to score. Then they foul him again. He splits again. So he makes two out of four. Um, they get Collins to the line. He makes both. But then during that, Philly pulls Simmons off the floor. So basically, the net result of those two possessions was a point per possession, which is still pretty good defense, quote unquote defense. Um, so it was, I would say, it was successful, but not like ridiculously so. Um, but the you know the per possession um, metrics would tell you that that's a good result defensively. Still, they, they pull Simmons, which they could afford to do because he was so bad on offense um, in this game. But the big thing again was that the Hawks just couldn't score. They they scored eight points in the first seven and a half minutes of the fourth quarter. And there was just too much of that in this game overall. So even when they were getting some stops, they just couldn't get over the hump because they couldn't get they couldn't score enough um, effectively. There was a uh, pretty electric moment in terms of a skirmish with about four minutes to go. The Hawks down seven. And B gets called for an offensive foul, um, sort of blowing through Collins' body. Then the two of them get tied up. They have a skirmish. There's no punches or anything, but it was spilled sort of near the crowd to the point where Ryan Cameron was yelling not to uh, be involved as crowd members. But after a lengthy review, Philly actually challenged the play. It was called an offensive foul on Embiid. They lost the challenge, and then it was called double technicals on Embiid and Collins. So no scoreboard impact there. Nobody was ejected. Nothing else really happened other than it was an offensive foul. But that was kind of a weird play, uh, obviously uh, sort of electric in nature. Uh, one thing to note, and it's not a huge deal because he's not going to play anyway, you would think, but Bruno Fernando uh, was seen leaving the bench during that on video. If that's proven to be uh, at least uh, noticed by the league. He could be suspended for Game 7. Again, he's not played in the series. It wouldn't be a huge impact, but something to keep an eye on there. Um, that was sort of the only thing that I would say could be the fallout from that. Other than that, there wasn't like a massive uh, you know hiccup that will impact the rest of the series. Um, 
other than that, you know, that sort of sets up for the, for the stretch run with the Hawks down by seven out of that. Um, Galdar gets to the line, makes both, and they're down five. But Harris answers with the floater. Trey turns it over, and then Maxi misses for the Sixers. Uh, Gallo hits a three, though, on the right wing. That was a pretty big shot, you know, kind of a breakdown by Philadelphia to allow him to pop open uh, pretty easily on a pick and pop. But he makes it. Harris misses a jump shot. And then the biggest moment um, that went in the Hawks' favor, anyway, down the stretch was this was the next moment because kind of an errant pass by Trey in transition, but it wasn't stolen. It was kind of a broken possession. He ended up isoing against Tyrese Maxey as the shot clock went down on the right wing. But he hits this ridiculous fading three um, that I can't believe he made. It was just a ridiculous shot. Trey Young is so good and so talented. That was a wild shot, and he made it. And the result of that is, when it goes in, the Hawks are done by one with two minutes to go. So... <laughs> There's a timeout there by Philadelphia, and the crowd's going wild. Hilariously, the lights went out, so that everyone got their jokes off about Trey shooting the lights out, as they should. But, um, yeah, I mean, that was it. I mean, the Hawks are still underdogs there because you're, you're still down by a point, but it's it's a new game there at two, with two minutes to go. But from, that, from that point forward, the Hawks had a couple of empty trips in a row that definitely cost them in a big way. So, after the timeout, Embiid scores on a putback of his own miss, and they're down by three again. The Hawks have a miss floater from there. Embiid then gets to the line, splits them actually, a sort of a break for the Hawks that he didn't make both, but down four all of a sudden with 115 to go. Trey turned it over on the next possession. He wanted a foul call. He was incredulous that he didn't, they didn't get it. I thought it probably should have been a foul, but didn't get the call. Embiid then bails him out, though, by taking a pretty awful long two that he misses. Um, and then the biggest miss shot of the stretch run was the next possession. Kevin Herter, um, a good look, not like an absolutely ridiculous wide-open look, but a good look that he often makes from three. He misses that one. Um, Philly gets the rebound. They have to foul because, you know, it was time to do that at that point in time. Um, down by four. They foul Maxi. He splits two. They, they they call timeout down five with 30 seconds to go, basically. They bring in Lou offensively for Capella. That's the right decision in that spot. They actually get a pretty easy dunk by Gallinari, but still, you know, down five, got to kind of hurry a little bit. They get the dunk. Call timeout. They foul Maxi again. He makes both. So you're down five. And at that point, again, urgency to get probably more than two points, but at least two points in their possession. Um, Young misses actually a quick layup attempt, but Capella cleans it up, lays it in. But they foul Harris again with 13 seconds to go. He makes both, and you're down five. So at that point, you're obviously you know drawing um, almost dead, but you need to make a three in my opinion. Regardless, it didn't really matter a whole lot, but they, they took so much time down five. Um, Trey got kind of bottled up. They got it to Herder, who makes a floater. But by the time you do that, you're down three with three seconds to go, and you have to foul. So it's basically over. They got the ball in bounds. They foul. He makes both, and that's the end of the game. So as we'll get into a second, we'll get into this all all in a second. I'll say this after the break. But um, the short version is that the Hawks just did not score effectively enough in this game. That was the problem in the fourth quarter. That was the problem down the stretch. Even you know, again after the Hawks. Hit the th- you know, Trey hits the crazy three. They go, I believe it was three or four possessions in a row without, without a point. So, yeah, they go empty, empty, empty. Yeah, three in a row without, without a point in that stretch. And you just can't afford to do that, um, when especially when you're losing. But at any point there, it just you're, you're going to lose if that happens. And the offensive execution was the problem throughout the game. So, we'll use that as a tease to get into all of the takeaways and all of the notes that I have from individual players coming to you in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is Built Bar. Built Bar is wonderful, as I always say on the podcast, but what is your favorite Built Bar flavor? Did you know that Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, plus the occasional limited time flavor, and 
When you talk about Built Bar, it's always a passionate thing for people that really enjoy their own flavors. And if you don't know the flavors, you're really missing out. It's coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, and many more. There's something for everyone in my favorite flavor right now anyway. I have many favorites, to be honest with you. But right now, I'm really loving the peanut butter brownie. That's just one that I'm really enjoying. I like to dive into that as much as possible. I always uh, talk about how much I enjoy Built Bar, and that is the one that I am diving into at this moment in time. If you haven't tried the flavors though, get a mixed box right now when you get two of each of the nine available flavors at this moment in time. And not only are the Built Bar flavors fantastic, they're also very healthy. Most flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, only four grams of sugar, only four grams of net carbs, and a couple others have even more protein if you enjoy that kind of thing. Order today, get that raspberry mint brownie or whatever you would like. And if you do it in the near future, you go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, 15% off your first order with Built Bar. Use promo code LOCKED15, 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Okay, and we'll close the game out now with some, you know, broad takeaways and some individual breakdowns from this game. I will say this, and you probably noticed by the by the title of this podcast, I, offense was the issue in this game. There were some def- defensive complaints for sure that I was seeing on Twitter, and I have a few critiques for sure about their defense, but overall, it, this is an offensive loss. For the Hawks. And while that actually gives you some, I think for me, gives you some optimism for game seven and that that's going to feel pretty winnable if the Hawks can just clean up their offense, which is their better side of the ball. But offense was the problem in this game. So overall, the shooting was not like completely disastrous. Um, 41% from the floor, 32% from three. That's not great, but it's not like completely untenable. But after the first quarter, it was 36.6% from the field. So sub 37% from the floor in the last three quarters. That's pretty bad. The free throw line was also a problem, 13-24 from the free throw line in this game. Six misses from Kong Wu and Capella, which is definitely worth noting. Those guys are not expected to make free throws at a whole lot. So I will say this, given who was shooting them, I think the Hawks probably should be expected to make like 16, 17 of 24, which is not a small, it's not a small difference. That's three or four points. Philadelphia also was pretty bad in the line too, but um, there was a lot of focus on that. I get it because it's obviously a bad percentage, but... You know, given who given who missed them, the ones that really stood out to me as sort of bad misses were Trey went three of five. He normally would at least make four, if not five, of those. And then Bogey misses both of his. But other than that, it wasn't like standout crazy to me, but still a couple of points for sure left, left on the cutting room floor for the Hawks at the line. 19 assists on 38 baskets. That's a bad ratio for the Hawks. Turnovers were, tw- were fine, only 12. That's like an average number. So nothing terribly there or great. And then they, di- they didn't really dominate the offensive glass either. They actually lost the glass overall in this game. Both ends of the floor went to Philadelphia percentage-wise in the rebounding battle. And that kind of led to some possession battle stuff. But again, you know, I, I just think offensively, we'll get into individual stuff in a second, but there were just a bunch of guys who did not give you what, that you, that you, what you had to have. And um, Trey was brilliant for most of the game. They had some nice contrib- contribution from other guys, but um, collectively just didn't have enough juice offensively you know at the, in the end of the at the end the Hawks scored sub 100 offensive rating in this game and at home against you know granted Philadelphia is good defensively they were a big part of why the Hawks struggled to be sure they're an awesome defensive team when they're dialed in they were they were definitely better in this game but still you can't expect to win scoring less than a point per, point per possession against the number one seed and that's just what happened in this game um, defensively, I will actually praise the Hawks. I think the Hawks did a very, very good job defensively in this game. A 1.04 defensive rating in this spot. That's an elite number. You cannot pick that apart. I know there were moments where Seth Curry got loose and the possessions here, possession there, but you cannot complain, honestly, about the defense in this game. They did more than enough to win defensively. Um, they held Philadelphia to 50% true shooting. That is way below their normal average. 
They did make 12 threes, and a lot of that's Curry, and definitely that's the one problem defensively. If you, if you had to find one, was uh, Curry getting loose for sure. And uh, he's just been incredible in the series. I mean, that's just kind of bad luck that ha- you know he's been so dialed in and, and so hot from three. But they did help. They held, they held Embiid, a nine of twenty-four from the floor. Um, Embiid was not dominant in this game. He was he was very good defensively, but this is not the Embiid that was just like the world wrecking guy offensively from the first half of Game Five. He was um, pretty average. Like he had eight turnovers in this game. Joel Embiid had eight turnovers. Like there was not a whole lot. He was like really just dominating in offensively. And, you know, you take Curry away, everybody else was pretty average or worse from Philadelphia offensively. There's some noise in there with the late fouls, but I'll say this is a crazy stat that I share on Twitter. The Sixers were 4 of 18 from the floor in the fourth quarter of this game, and they won the quarter because of the free throw line and also because the Hawks just had trouble scoring throughout. But again, I will say this is a very, very positive, good defensive performance. If they do this again, if they're able to replicate this defensive performance in Game 7, which is not a given, but if you just told me this is exactly what happens defensively in Game 7, the Hawks should be probably favored to win the game. Now, you can't assume that by any means, but that's how good they were in this game, is that you probably should be just totally fine defensively. Um, it's just the offensive end of the floor that really kind of let the Hawks down in this game. Um, individually, we'll get into some stuff now. A 9 rotation for the Hawks in this game. And uh, nothing out of the ordinary there. The only guy, uh, Tony Stell was a DNP, but everybody else that has been playing ended up playing. Solomon Hill, 8 minutes, minus 13. And that's uh, not all on him, but offensively, he's just not going to give you anything at all. Defensively, he was fine, I thought. Um, but, you know, you, if, you, if, you, if you just can't score, it's uh, it's pretty tough. And uh, we'll get into this later on, but they might have to play uh, him and Tony Snell even more in Game 7 if something else does not happen with Bogdanovich's knee. Um, Lou Williams, after the monster, monster game in Game 5, was not good in this game. Uh, scoreless, 0-5 from the floor. Did have an assist, three, three rebounds, and but two, two turnovers to give it back a little bit. I thought shot quality-wise, it wasn't much different, actually, from Game 5. It's kind of crazy. Lou generated some good looks, he just didn't make them in this game. And he sort of giveth and taketh away. As I mentioned after the Game 5 um, on the uh, on the podcast, you just can't rely on Lou to do that all the time. It's a bonus that you kind of need every once in a while. But in this game, you saw the limitations of when he doesn't have it going. And uh, it did not have... It didn't happen for him in this game. He was minus 10, and that's, you know, that's not all on him, but he was not good offensively or really overall in this game. Okongwu, 10 minutes. I thought defensively he was good. I had a block, uh, a couple other challenges at the rim, 2-3 from the floor. Uh, a couple, both of those were dunks, I believe. Missed his free throws. He was 0-2 from the line, but I thought he was a general positive, or at least a neutral. I thought he outplayed Dwight Howard, for instance, which is nice, although they won those minutes. I think uh, Philadelphia probably did overall, but that was not because of Okongwu. And then Gallinari was sort of the sixth starter in this game. 16 points for Gallo. They had him on some isolation stuff. People were kind of complaining that I saw on Twitter, actually, about his isolations. I, If you're the Hawks, you are totally fine with Gallo in a post-up or an ISO against, like, Maz or Milton or George Hill or Seth Curry. Any of those guys, I will take Gallo in that, in that spot. It's not always pretty. Gallinari has a distinctive style, for sure, offensively. But I think he is more than good enough to generate good looks there. And he was efficient offensively. He was one of the few guys who had a good, a good game offensively in this game. Now to the starters. So a, a mixed bag here for sure. Um, Bogdanovich was poor in this game. Uh, part of that might be his knee, as we'll get into in a second. But seven points in 29 minutes. Three of 11 from the floor. One of six from three. He had two steals and a block. Def- uh, defensively, so some activity there. But his turnovers were too many. Um, you know, missed both free throws, which is kind of strange. And this is going to loom for the Hawks. You know, as, as bad as he was in this game, it's probably his worst game in a long time for the Hawks. 
Uh, they need him desperately for Game 7, and I, I don't have a way to answer people asking him, like, what his availability is going to be. I don't know in any way, shape, or form what is what's going to happen. The Hawks will be keeping that close to the vest, I'm sure. McMillan is not someone who likes to reveal information. So it might go all the way down to game-time decision for, for Bogey on Sunday. I don't really know what's going to happen. But it's a big loss because they don't really have much behind him. But overall, he was not good uh, at all in this game. If he had been a little bit better, it would have helped them probably over the line at times. But um, we'll just have to leave that there for now. Uh, Collins, not his best effort offensively. Seven points, ten rebounds. Um, two, two of eight from the floor and 0 of three from three. Obviously not his uh, best efficiency. I will say this. The gap between Collins and Bogdanovich or um, Lou Williams in this game was that Collins, I thought, helped them defensively. Uh, he was plus seven, actually, in this game. Part of that's probably he, he, he was sort of tied to Trey at times. But I thought defensively and on the glass, he was a positive. Offensively, not as much. But, um, you know, that's the kind of the difference there is that he can give you other things, whereas um, particularly Lou and even partially Bogdanovich in this game, we're not giving you much else other than their defensive struggles. So not a good game for John overall, but not as bad as the shooting numbers would probably indicate to you, at least in my opinion. Uh, Click Capella was, I thought, was better in this game. 14 points, 11 rebounds, 6 to 10 from the floor. Did miss four free throws, which is uh, part of the Capella experience because he's not a great free throw shooter, obviously. But I thought defensively he was quite good. Um, picked him where he sort of left off in the second half of Game 5, where I thought he was notably better. Uh, you know, offensively, it's tough at times for him, but he wasn't too bad. He was reasonably efficient finishing around the rim in this game. He didn't do too much clogging and three, three offensive rebounds. I thought he played pretty well. It wasn't He wasn't great, 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 Like, but I thought it was a generally positive night for, for Capella overall. Kevin Herter played 44 minutes in this game. Uh, part of that is Bogdanovich leaving the game, but also he was good, especially in the first half. He definitely cooled off in the second half, but 17 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists, a steal, and a block, and no turnovers for Herter. So you can't really ask for too much more than that. The shooting, you know, I mentioned the one big shot that he missed in the final 90 seconds. That's just going to happen sometimes. It wasn't like, again, it wasn't like a wide-open look. It was a good look, one that he's capable of making, just didn't make it. But uh, he cooled off, but still, a good night for Kevin overall, I think. And... He's another guy, like, if he's if Bogdanovich is unable to play or limited, you might see 44 from him again in Game 7. Like, he just has to be out there. They don't have too much else, especially if Lou's not just completely firing all cylinders like he was in Game 5. So, circle that one for the future. And then Trey Young, uh, 34 points, 12 assists, 5 rebounds. Trey was obviously brilliant in this game. There wasn't a whole lot to critique about his performance, obviously. Um, he, if you want to point at one thing, he was not very good in the fourth quarter by his standards. A couple of um, you know, a couple of hiccups by him. Uh, but you know, I'm nitpicking now. He was really pretty much awesome in this game. But he was two of nine from the floor in the fourth with two with two turnovers. Like he was not alone. The whole team was bad in the fourth quarter. But he did, he did cool off after a uh, monumental first three quarters. But still hit the big shot. I mean, he hit the big shot of the game for the Hawks um, to get it from four to one with that ridiculous fadeaway. But 34, 12, five, three steals again. He was pesky defensively in this game. Like pretty effective, digging down being in the way, digging and passing lanes, just doing his job there. And he was plus seven. I mean, the Hawks end up losing this game by five, and they were, you know, plus seven when Trey, when Trey played, and they were minus uh, minus 12 when he sat. And that's, it's kind of like Embiid uh, early in the series, and it was sort of the opposite, actually, today. Uh, that's part of the craziness of this game, is that Embiid was minus one, and they won. That never happens for Philadelphia. Philadelphia is a... Um, there are many teams that are like this, but they've been a national story for how bad they've been without Embiid for a couple years now. And it was sort of the, uh, I guess they, they, they transferred, obviously it's been the same thing for the Hawks, but, uh, yeah, Trey plus seven and rest of the team, uh, minus 12 when he, when he was on, on the bench kind of tells the story, but he was very good 
in this game. If he does that again, uh, he was not the problem by by a stretch. He he was the only guy, sort of not the only guy, but the main guy carrying the offense in this spot. And uh, what are you going to say? He's been great in the entire playoffs and uh, definitely raising his profile into the place where I think we already knew he was. But people are definitely learning more about Trey Young. Okay, so from here, Game Seven looms on Sunday. Um, it's going to be very interesting to be sure. You know, Game Seven is always a uh, interesting evaluation. Uh, home teams have a massive advantage in terms of like historical data at home in Game Seven. Uh, this series, number one seed Philadelphia, they'll be favored by a lot. Uh, I've just been looking as we were talking on this podcast at our friends at Online.ag, and I've not seen the number yet. But I'm going I'm to refresh one more time. This is great live radio, I'm sure, but just to see where the expectations are for Game 7, but I'm confident that Philadelphia will be favored by a decent amount in Game 7. Um, but I'll say this. The Hawks, I think, are a very, very, very live underdog. Uh, right now, by the way, the Hawks are plus 6.5 on BetOnline.ag for Game 7. But it's very winnable for me. I think that's, I think it's appropriate that the Hawks are underdogs. They have to go on the road against a number one seed. That's totally fine. I understand that. I know Hawks fans hate it when they're underdogs, but it's, it's true. I think that's objectively the case. But there are plenty of positives here. I think defensively, as I said before, they played very well in this game. And one of the takeaways for me was that Philadelphia, while they won this game, they did not solve their offensive issues. And that's really their problem. Even in the fourth quarter, they were four of 18 from the floor. Like the Hawks made a few, make a few, make a few more shots. Um, had the crowd get a little bit tight in Philadelphia, as we've seen twice in the series. The Hawks have already won twice in Philadelphia. So Obviously, this is the best shot the Hawks had, I think, on paper to win was Game 6 at home. That was always going to be the case. If they had won it, they'd be on to the next the next series. But Game 7 is winnable. Uh, you know, you definitely shouldn't be too discouraged by this. Obviously, the Hawks played well in the series for the most part. But we'll have full coverage of Game 7. It is an 8 o'clock scheduled tip-off, by the way, in Philadelphia. So a primetime game. That'll be very interesting to see uh, how that all unfolds. Uh, it's the only game in the, in the evening slot. The, uh, the West is actually going to be in the afternoon. So, And by the time they tip off, the Hawks will know who they're going to be playing if they were to win Game 7 because uh, Game 7 in the other series between the Nets and the Bucks is on Saturday. So um, not that it really matters. <laughs> it's going to be a winner-take-all, winner-go-home, whatever you want to say. Uh, the Hawks have to win on Sunday or their season ends, and uh, we'll have plenty of coverage on that. But uh, again, I think it's very, very winnable for the Hawks. Um, you know, I know the natural thing for some people would be like, oh, number one seed at home, they're going to win. This is the whole series, all that stuff. I think this is a good chance for the Hawks to go in and win. Um, so we'll see how that all lands. And uh, I, last thing on this, Bogdanovich's absence could be looming large. I wanted to make sure I answered that at the end of the podcast. I got a lot of questions about that, What sort of what happens if he can't play. You know, Herter said in his post-game interview that, you know, it would take a lot to keep Bogdanovich out. He's a very tough guy. Uh, we're, we're all, we'd all be guessing. I, I don't know the, I don't know what's going to happen there. If he was not able to play, that would be obviously a massive loss for the Hawks just because they don't have depth right now with Hunter out. Reddish, you know, people always ask me, I don't really have an answer for you. The Hawks do not seem comfortable playing Reddish right now. And especially, you know, game seven on the road when you haven't played in four months, it's just an impossible ask. Could he play? I don't know. Um, Chris Dunn, same thing. People always want Chris Dunn. I don't think that's going to be a likely option, but maybe more likely because they w- if, if they didn't have Bogdanovich, I think it most likely would be a combination of Snell and Hill um, and a lot of Herder um, and maybe some more Lou and Trey lineups, et cetera, maybe more Gallup 3, um, you know, just lots of options, but none of them great. So Bogdanovich, you don't want to pressure luck. He's under contract for four years. You don't want to, you know, go crazy if he's not if he's not healthy enough to play. But if he can play, it would help them. If he can't, 
they have to just go next man up and that's going to be the end of that. So, all right, that's enough on this podcast. I'll stop ranting as we're into Saturday morning now, but subscribe to the podcast. Please tell your friends about the show and we'll be back after game seven. So we'll see you then.